Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Colin McRae is uh, a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. He has written an incredible book called A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent and Communism. Every dictator wants to control thoughts. They can't, so they have to control the output of thoughts. But they still don't, no matter what they do, they can't control what's traveling around in your brain. No, and they can't control the fact that these... Uh, rights that I have are God-given, right? So the, the, and they, they can't stand that, that there's something above them, and that's why they've taken the Establishment Clause and, and bastardized that, and they've made it so that, you know, it means that there can be no church in the public square. And they, they hide behind Jefferson and call him a deist. Well, I don't know how many of you have had the opportunity to go to the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, D.C., but, you know, one of the things they, that's magnificent in, in that in that building is on the walls are his, some of his famous speeches and and writings and every other word is God. And while that's an exaggeration, it is clear that he is an absolute believer in those individual liberties. And, you know, the, the, the right to petition one's government, you know, was not always a right that people had under the crown. It it, it did happen later on, but it wasn't always a a right. And the, the, uh, the freedom of assembly, you know, and you could make the argument that if you have the, you know, the freedom of speech, then you probably have the freedom of assembly. But to your point, Dr. Dan, to, to make sure that they had those very important things listed um, was crucial. And interestingly, there, you know, people talk about the order of the amendments, right? And, you know, maybe the second amendment should have been first. And while I'm, you could not have a bigger supporter of the second amendment than, than I am, just from a historical perspective and accuracy, the Fourth Amendment, I'm sorry, the Second Amendment was actually the fourth put forward. Uh, the first two amendments didn't initially pass. One actually ended up passing in 1992 and became our 27th Amendment. So the, the, it was really Amendments 2 through 12 that became the Bill of Rights. It's just a nerdy history thing, but you know, just full disclosure, I, I, I would never say the Second Amendment should have been first because it wasn't, it's not second, it's fourth. <laughs> well, we all know th- these amendments are really important. Uh, and, and I like that the ability to address the government to, uh, for a redress of, of grievances. Uh, recently, I spoke at a, the, the annual Bill of Rights dinner <clears throat> banquet dinner over in Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, 
and that one of the other speakers was speaking about the fact that there is in the Tennessee state constitution that part of the constitution says that any citizen of the state of Tennessee has the right to demand the ability to, to address the state legislature directly. And he is, wants to do that, and he has filed the necessary paperwork, and obviously they're fighting him tooth and nail to prevent him from doing that, even though in the state constitution it says, and he says, and get up there and speak uh, to the, con- to the uh, state legislature. They don't want him there. You know, I, I, in my career, uh, I, have, uh, I have done uh, what I think will come across as an unpopular uh, task or gets a bad rap, but I think it's actually a very protected uh, thing in, the, in our country, and that is uh, I've done lobbying. Um, and it's interesting, lobbyists get a really bad rap, and I'm sure some of them are not necessarily uh, trying to advance the, the, the mission of the Constitution and the general welfare. It's more they're interested in specific welfare. The kind of stuff that I did was, was around you know, Homeland Security and defense stuff, so very kind of constitutional. But nonetheless, if we think about the, the much maligned lobbyist, he's protected in the Constitution in three places. He has the right to free speech. He has the right to assembly, and, and lobbyists typically represent a, a group of, of people. And they have, he has the right to petition his government over grievances. So is it really the lobbyist that I should be mad at, or is it the person that he, the bureaucrat or the legislator, that they're going and talking to and doing things that are outside of their bounds? I have those rights. But the government has the obligation to make sure that they uphold my rights. And that's where the where it breaks down, and not in what I'm asking for. So let's talk about some more of the amendments, and and really, what's the basis of the amendments? Okay, so the the so we talked a little bit about the first, the second amendment. You know, is uh, there would not have been a uh, revolutionary war if it wasn't for what happened on April nineteenth, seventeen seventy five, where where the uh, the crown marched on Lexington and conquered. Uh, there's just no way it would happen. We we even wanted to make amends after that. But if, if they didn't go and try to seize our guns, then it wouldn't have happened. And the purpose of the Second Amendment um, couldn't be clear. Guns are for killing tyrants. That's what they're for. It's a check against the, gov- the government. That's the sole purpose. You know, this discussion about hunting and, you know, self-defense, is, it's just not what it's there for. And, you know, I also, you know, make the argument that um, – and we, we talked uh, earlier about the word regulated. Well, regulated doesn't mean regulated necessarily the way that people think about it today from two perspectives. One, the word, a better word is really organized. But then just notionally, too, if you think about the purpose, if, if, if in fact the purpose of a gun is to kill tyrants, then would you allow, even if we use the, the definition of regulated today, would you allow the government that you want to protect uh, yourself from to regulate you? It just falls on its face. There's no intellectually honest way that you can get there. Uh, So people that say, well, it's a right of militias, I'll say, okay, but you don't have the right to regulate my militia. And if I've stood down in my militia and just haven't choose to organize right now, you have no say in this. You have no standing in the matter. Uh, The Third Amendment, I think, is a very interesting uh, one from from more from a structural perspective. Uh, I think it's the only one that's never been had a case tried. And at the Supreme Court, and it is about quartering of troops. Uh, 
And one of the, the grievances in the Declaration of Independence was about quartering of troops. So now that we can see that it finds its way into the Constitution, uh, uh, the Fourth, Fifth, uh, Sixth uh, Amendments are all around, um, uh, you know, kind of judicial rights, habeas corpus kind of stuff, you know. And those rights trace themselves back, you know, well before the founding of the country, back to uh, June the 15th and 12th, uh, 1215 in the Magna Carta. So these are longstanding rights. And going back to all men are created equal – and nobody's above the law. Well, nobody's beneath the law, too. And some of the things we see happening to our president today where he isn't given those, uh, those rights, I don't think uh, would fly too well with the framers. Colin McLeay is uh, a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. He has written an incredible book called A Citizen on the Constitution, Consent, and Communism. Those Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendment rights of due process are really one of the most important uh, rights that we have because they—that is what separates us from dictatorships. Because you know that in a dictatorship, all you need is for one neighbor of yours to call up the uh, the local police and say, "I think my neighbor is uh, is is saying bad things about the government," and the next thing you know, at two a.m. Your no, door is no. broken, not broken down. You're, you're removed. Uh, your possessions are taken. You're taken to a secret prison somewhere where you're either <clears throat> tortured or killed or you're sent to work in Siberia or whatever. The, the tools of a dictator are to have no due process because everything they do when they grab you is in secret. You have no right of habeas corpus or any due process rights. So that's why, to me, the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments are so important. And when I see some of the goings-on now uh, uh, with RICO laws and and, uh, red flag laws proposed and things like that, to me, I don't understand how any Supreme Court justice can approve any of those things. Uh, They are so far out of constitutionality it, it defies my any kind of logic how those could have been uh, okayed as being okay, as being constitutional. There's I'll say two things about that. One is the one that is, gets all the attention in the media today, but never talked about in the in the context that you just brought up, is are the FISA courts, right? I mean, I, I just you know as a as a strict originalist or whatever you want to call me, there's just there's no standing for a FISA court. And honestly, I am much, much more afraid of, you know, things that a bad government can do um, as opposed to terrorists. You know, we, it's not like we had no protections. As a matter of fact, you know, before the FISA courts, um, you know, we still had 9-11 happen. And the other thing I would say uh, as far as it goes with the, uh, with the Fourth Amendment, John Adams said that he traces the spark of the revolution, not of the war, but of the revolution to, I think it was 1765 and the writs of assistance. And the writs of assistance were basically warrantless searches and said that's what set this whole thing in motion. So you're absolutely right, and that is you know, so integral to all of our liberties. If you don't have that, you don't, you don't really have any liberties. You know, I mean, if you look, and, and that's why I think everyone should go to the Bill of Rights, read them again, but you read the, the due process that we are granted as citizens in the 4th, 5th, and 6th Amendment. Almost nothing that is going on 
should ever happen. Look at what's going on in the state of Virginia right now, um, where there's a state government that is threatening to pass laws by which they can go to your house and confiscate your guns. Okay? The response has been overwhelming, isn't it? The response has been, out of their 60 counties, 44 have passed gun sanctuary county you know, uh, resolutions. Like, I wrote, and we passed in Cherokee County, a gun sanctuary. We're a gun sanctuary county, Cherokee County, North Carolina, by the resolution that I wrote was passed by the commission. And our sheriff, to his credit, spoke at the commission meeting in favor of, of adoption of that. Well, you look what's going on in Virginia today. There is an uprising going on in that state because of the fourth, the second, fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments are being violated directly by that state legislature. Yeah, and you know the, uh, and I think that we're just going to see more and more of this kind of, you know, let's try a broad overreach. You know, it's part of their playbook is I might not get it today, but let me, you know, I'll, I'll see what your defense is, right? You're, it's Sun Tzu. I'm going to, you know, you know, probe and see what the enemy, their adversary and the, the liberty-loving people are going to do and how they're going to react. And then they can come up with different strategies. They, they're in this for the, for the long game. They want their totalitarian government. They won't describe it as a totalitarian government, but it's really what they're, what they're after. How about some of the, the amendments to the Constitution that have occurred in the uh, the progressive era, so-called progressive era. To me, that starts basically with Woodrow Wilson in that era, um, uh, one of my least favorite people. Um, however, I always say that 1913 was a really terrible year for the republic. We had the 16th Amendment, 17th Amendment, and the Federal Reserve Bank. Uh, so how do you view the amendments that have occurred during the progressive era? Well, it's interesting because while I don't like them, <laughs> right, um, I absolutely respect them because consent was sought. And so they are, you know, I view them as, as completely legitimate. I think that the, uh, you know, the 16th Amendment has done an awful lot of damage and, you know, all of the money that can flow in. So the 16th Amendment is income tax. Um, you know, one of the bad things it did just as a, a – uh, um, uh, you know, kind of personal experience. So I grew up in, in New England, and my wife and I met in Newport, and it was Newport, Rhode Island, and it was really the 16th Amendment that destroyed that city for, you know, 70 or 80 years because with income tax rates the way they were, they couldn't afford to keep up their, their houses, and people would say, well, who cares about the rich? Well, some of those, those houses had hundreds and hundreds of staff members, right, that all lost their jobs. So, um, Again, I, I don't. I don't like what they did. I. I do, you know, respect the process. They went and they sought consent. Um, on on that note, though, isn't it true that there is a lot of, I don't would well you would call it rumor or innuendo, in, innuendo that those amendments were not passed in a legal fashion. There's some question about whether the states actually did agree to ratify those amendments. Right. No, I think that. I think that you know. I think that that there's there's some some truth in that, but I also, you know, I I can't sit here and say they absolutely were were done in a fraudulent way. What I do think was fraudulent about 
all of those amendments, and let's talk a little bit about the the Seventeenth Amendment, um, is it. If people understood why it was that we had the Senate, so this, the, what the Seventeenth Amendment does is it changes how the senators are going to be elected from appointed by the state legislatures to uh, appointed by popular vote within the states. Um, but the the notion of you know we always say we have uh, three branches of government. We really have four, right? The states are you know very prominent in the in the constitution from you know how uh, seats are apportioned in the in the house to you know the fact that we only have uh, two senators per state through the Connecticut compromise back at the ratification um, but when we go now to the 17th amendment you really have to wonder um, and I think it's kind of the first was a first step. And again, they're in this for the long haul. They don't want the electoral college. The electoral college and the two senators are really two you know sides of the same coin. It, it accomplished the same thing. And what that same thing is is it got the states to consent. Right? There's no way. You know, when you go back and you read, uh, and anybody that's into this stuff, one of the best things you can read are Madison's notes to the Constitutional Convention. They're voluminous. And they shed phenomenal insight, albeit only from one person, but phenomenal insight. But there's just no way we were going to get to a republic if it wasn't for the Electoral College, because the, you know, uh, originally a, a Virginia put forward a plan called the Large State Plan that the small states didn't like. New Jersey put forward a, a small state plan, which the big states didn't like. So it was Connecticut then, then came and said, look, we're going to have two senators. Uh, per each state, and we're going to do apportioned uh, House of Representatives. People said, okay, and they acquiesced. Um, but if it, wasn't for those, if it wasn't for those methodologies, we would not have consented. So now with us looking to get rid of the Electoral College, we're back to, well, we don't want consent anymore. After the 2016 election, I wrote a, a post, an, an article on my website, in Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, and the title was The Genius and Necessity of the Electoral College. What I did is I looked at the population of the United States in, in 1787 or 1790, and I looked at the population of states. And it turned out, of those 13 states, okay, if you took the total population, um, six Six of those 13 states had 62% of the population, and seven had over 70% of the population. And so my point was very simple. If you, you take that simple mathematic fact and you say, here are 13 states that just got rid of a monarchy because they didn't want telling big people telling them what to do, do you think there would be ever any way that those that – those, uh, small states would have agreed to a constitution which guaranteed that they'd never have any say whatsoever in who the president was. And of course, it would never have happened. That's why you had to have the Electoral College. Yep, and it was, uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, it was Roger Sherman who put that forward, uh, you know, in the Connecticut Compromise. So um, it was, uh, you know, you, you talk about uh, how how the legislature is, is uh, broken up and, and apportioned, and recently we've had discussion in the country about uh, the census. And should we ask, uh, "Are you a citizen on the census?" You know, and it doesn't take a lot of reading to understand. Uh, well, absolutely. If we look at where that comes from, it comes from Article One, Section Two of the Constitution, um, and the purpose 
uh, where, where the census is called out. that says we're going we're gonna to count people, and then every 10 years we're going to count people. But it's in the section where they're apportioning seats. Who votes for uh, who, who votes for Congress? Citizens. So what they're really trying to do is understand how many citizens do we have. So it's, I, I'd make the argument it's the only question that the census should ask. And now you get this long social justice form if you get the long form census, census but you can't ask if you're a citizen. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. I get joy in everything. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning.